Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. Hi, everyone. Hi. So here we are for with another podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And what we're going to talk about today is loss of control. And, you know, when we were writing the Freedom Model, we really focused heavily on pulling in all the research about that shows. And the research, if, if behavioral research could be conclusive, it's pretty conclusive that there is absolutely no loss of control with respect to using alcohol and drugs, right? That's right. I mean, the, the, it, there has been, it's, the research has been done over and over and over again. If people don't know they're drinking alcohol, they don't experience loss of control. They don't even, they don't even crave. They don't, if they don't know and they're ingesting, you know, uh, alcohol, they don't know to, no. to frame it as something they want. Nope. And, and the same can be said for, for drugs. If, if somebody is given a dose of heroin, a dose of crack, a dose of methamphetamine, and then they're offered money or another dose, every substance user has their price. There is a price that's high enough where they would rather take the money, even though they're not going to get it till sometime later, right. possibly days, weeks later. Right. And in and other words, they can't just go buy drugs. With exactly. The money. Exactly. They know, oh, I'm going to get $5 at the end of the month. And, and it's worth it to me not to take that next dose. Right. I'd rather get the money. Right. So, so there's no loss of control because that person would be a drug taking zombie. They would just keep getting the drugs as long as they were offered to them. So, so let's, let's get deep into this because this is a real important point. Loss of control says you don't have control, right? One drink is one drunk. Right. So it's an absolute statement. There is no part-time loss of control because loss of control is saying you don't have it. <laughs> right. It's, it's literally an absence of control. So it's such a strange thing because AA, uh, which is really the founding ethos of this whole mess called treatment now, the recovery society, a talks about being powerless, literally powerless uh, to stop drinking or drugging. And if you're powerless over something, that means you 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 have no control there. It's not a it's not a sort of thing. You right. know? It, it's all or nothing. This is one case where where that belief system is all or nothing. So, you know, in, in AA, they'll say things like don't drink and go to meetings. But they're also saying you're powerless. Right. So if you were powerless, you couldn't not drink. Right. 
And that always confused me. Me too. You know, when I, when I was going, I'd say, don't drink, go to meetings. Well, if I could not drink, you're saying I'm powerless. And if I could not drink, then why would I go to meetings? Why, why do this? If I, if the founding idea of AA is that you're powerless, but also that you should not drink and then go to meetings, well, then those ideas contradict each other. So obviously, so painfully, obviously, um, and they're not saying go to meetings so that you don't drink, you know, it's never framed that way. It's don't drink, go to meetings, just, just do this recipe. And, and it's all haphazardly, uh, told that way. So, so there is really no loss of control. There never has been every single dose of drug or drinking or drink that you take is chosen. Yeah. And, uh, now it may feel hopeless if you frame it that way, but again, that's a product of your mind. It's a belief system. It's part of the religion of addiction. So here's the, like, how did we all get here to this point where it seems like it's valid, where like, not only did, did like the early AA people buy into it when it was presented to them, but now basically the entire Western world buys into it, right? That there is, but it's scientists, it's kind of a wink and a nod. I mean, they, they're like, yeah, there's some phenomenon of loss of control involved, but ultimately when push comes to shove, most scientists will admit, well, no, nobody actually loses control because the science is so clear. Right. 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 But I know very, very smart people who went to AA, who became AA members, who have a belief system surrounding, yes, if I take one drink of alcohol, I'm off to the races. Like, once a pickle, never a cucumber again. Like, they have a belief system that buys into that, even in the face of science that says that's not true. I think there's there's a couple of things at play. One thing is when you go to AA, there's or or any 12 step group or you're a part of a recovery culture um you'll do pretty much anything to fit True. in you know and and it's a it's a strange thing but it's it's actually i guess really kind of common it's part of part of being human and that's i want to be accepted i want to fit somewhere and when you've been drinking and the whole drinking culture that you've been living in is kind of falling apart and maybe you're lonely and you're vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, there's an attractiveness to a society of people that are like you. And then what happens is you slowly convert your thinking from common sense, which is I'm choosing to drink even, even in the face of consequences because I like it. I, I like it at some, at some level. And that gets slowly replaced by I'm powerless. So yeah. you start to, you start to reframe your whole experience by the peer group and and there's a seriously attractive quality about AA that way and that is that you are special that you're different and you feel different because your yeah. life is really cascading in a bad place you know yeah and when you first go to a meeting and it, people are talking about and and this is it's such an incremental thing because you've already felt like 
what the hell's wrong with me? Like I, I clearly am doing things that I don't really want to be doing. That's what you think. That's what you think yeah. in your mind. Now, especially if you're like us and you were exposed to that idea as young as, as children, um, it, it, you know, even our common sense, we, we still knew in the back of our mind that we were choosing, but you, you go to a meeting and you see these people and they're saying some of the same things you're thinking, right? So it appeals to, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not alone. You start to think these people are just like me. Their experiences are similar. Their thinking is similar. And, and maybe you haven't felt like you belonged anywhere most of your life. So, so now you're like, oh, I found my people. Yeah. I mean, I can remember thinking that way, not wanting that to be true, but thinking that way, like I found a group of people that seems to understand me to a certain extent. And, and so like Mark said, you want to fit in with them because you feel like, I mean, I felt like I hadn't fit in anywhere before that. There's no doubt. And the other thing that, that plays into this is the shame and guilt that our society imposes oh yeah and the judgment that is imposed on a heavy substance use problem and and i get it i understand it i mean if your life is chaotic as hell and you're you're hurting the people around you it's pretty easy for everybody to impose judgment on you yeah and for then sure. for you to impose judgment on yourself here's what's interesting i grew up next to a, a group of people who were very heavy drinkers they had a lot of chaos in their lives but they were also very loving people and they drank by any standard, many of them alcoholically, right? According to the standard of society. I don't like using the word alcoholic. I think it's a bullshit thing. But They were just heavy daily drinkers. Yep. Yep. And, um, and I remember thinking there's no way in hell any of these guys would ever go to AA. And, and there were women as Isn't well. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That, no way. No way. <laughs> and and they, they never had shame about it. Right. Which was really wild to me because I grew up in a shame-filled therapeutic family style, which was, I mean, from my youngest memories, I felt guilty about drinking and drugging. You know, the moment I, I started doing it, I couldn't do it without shame and guilt. And And when you pile on shame and guilt, what happens is you feel like there's something wrong with you. And once you start to frame it as there's something that I'm not choosing this, there's right. something wrong with me and I'm not choosing it, the guilt and the shame drives that idea on steroids. Yes, it totally does. I, I have to stop him. Remember where you are because I don't have my glasses on and I just noticed that our producer set it up for our Facebook Live tomorrow. Oh yeah, that we're we're doing tomorrow, where we're introducing one of our certified instructors. So pretend that says episode one seventeen of the Addiction Solution <laughs> Podcast. Loss of control. <laughs> Loss of control. But we will be introducing Daniel tomorrow. <laughs> Although this podcast probably won't come out till after. So if you didn't get to see the Facebook Live from March 2nd, yeah. um, go back and find it because yeah. we introduced Daniel Pelarge. So. He's, he's a funny dude. He is a funny dude. And really knowledgeable. Great. Really knowledgeable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So now back to loss of control. I could, wait, what were you saying? We're terrible with this. Oh, well, so, so, this, so this group of people... Oh, yeah. So, so by any standard, 
they they would fit the criteria of exactly how I drank, for instance. But the, here's the difference: they didn't have shame. Nope. They they there's no way in hell they would ever go to rehab or or AA. I can remember them, you know, sort of laughing and saying rehab is for quitters, you know, that old <laughs> thing. You know, they're like, what what the fuck is wrong? It's ridiculous. With you people? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, and and they would they would pound alcohol, you know. Um, but because they didn't have the shame, they they owned it. They owned what they were doing. They didn't have to call it something else. They didn't have to label themselves as an alcoholic. They didn't have to. And trust me, they had some chaos in their life too, but it didn't seem to matter to them because it wasn't framed. They didn't make the learned connection between drinking and the chaos. It was just how they lived. It was and all they knew. That, that's right. They had not been introduced for whatever reason, maybe because they were a little bit isolated and stuff. Um, they hadn't been introduced to the recovery society ideals. And, and, and consequently, frankly, they had good lives. They made good money. They had nice homes. They 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 were good people, very loyal to me, and uh, and very loving as well. But my God, did they drink? Well, you know what's interesting is, and we see this. We said this in our book too. The research shows that one of the top insulators from becoming an addict or an alcoholic is ignorance of it. Yeah. Uh, is is not actually believing that you're out of control. It's not having that framework, that belief system in your mind. And so it doesn't occur to people, even if they're daily heavy drinkers, if they're not exposed, which it's tough in this, in our culture today, yep. not to be exposed to that idea. It was, it was not as difficult, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you know, but now it's so mainstream it's part of almost every sitcom uh, movie. There's always this storyline of this hopeless addict who's struggling. Um, but if you don't have that belief system in loss of control, you don't lose control. That's true. You don't believe that you've lost control. Yeah. And so, so, yes, we have all of the research, right? We don't have all of it. But we have a lot of research. If you go to chapter one, Chapter two, appendix A and B. Um, there's a lot to sift through there. And it doesn't even scratch the surface of the research that's been done that shows there's no loss of control. Okay. So, so that's for the people that they're like, you know, what's the science behind this? But now we want to appeal to the logic behind it. Okay. Because I have a, when we get people that come to the retreat and they have this belief system that they're out of control, that tends to be to spider out into other areas of their life. They don't think I'm powerless just over alcohol and drugs. Right. A lot of times that spiders out to I'm powerless, you know, and, and even the recovery side does this. It's like you're powerless over this and that and the other thing. And and then all of a sudden you have some mental health diagnosis. So you're powerless over your thoughts because of cravings. Right. You know, right. and if you're powerless over your thoughts and you're powerless over your own mind, um, all bets are off. That's right. Your life becomes, you become this, this like person that is pulled around and swayed by circumstance. You don't have, I mean, like, I want to do an example of this. 
it, that everybody can relate to because you're watching this online. Okay. So you're on Facebook or Twitter and you post something and it triggers someone. And so then they post this nasty response. And the question is, well, how are you going to respond to that? And I can tell you that there are people watching this right now and be like, oh, that just triggers my trauma. And I'm not making fun. I, I, I understand how it feels to be like, oh, I'm going to give this person. And then you start and then it goes back and forth and, and it ruins your whole day. Yeah. You feel like crap. You, you hate people. You're feeling all of these awful things and you don't even know that you chose it. You have no idea that you chose it because the other choice you can make is, well, they have a difference of opinion and they're kind of a dick about it. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just block them or I'll take down their comment and I'm going to move on with my day because it's not all that important because this is a a stranger on the internet. Or maybe it's somebody that you know that you considered a friend and you can think, well, that fucking asshole and let it ruin your day. Or you can think, oh, they must be having a bad day. I'm going to take their comment down and move on with my day. Mm -hmm. You know? These things are choices too. And and what really is difficult for us when we're working with people is when people have been put through the treatment mill and now they've gone to therapists and mental health professionals and they are so completely convinced that their very thoughts are not in their control. That's almost impossible to work with. Yeah, that's they become disempowered, right? Absolutely. So so it's uh it is really difficult to to work with. It we have to sort of go through each scenario and what we do in the freedom model is we show that the fundamental driving force or motivating force of the human psyche, your thoughts, is this pursuit of happiness. And if that is true, which it is, um then every choice that you've ever made was with your personal autonomy. It was with your free will. You were choosing to go that path because you saw benefit in it. And that includes problematic substance use on the front end. Absolutely. You're choosing it. You're always choosing it. Um, Jerry taught me something really smart, and I've talked about this in other podcasts. Uh, When I first met him, and that's Michelle's dad, for those of you that don't know, that was the original researcher of this project. He said, Mark... I want you to do something without thinking about doing it. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, pick up that cup of coffee, but you can't think about doing it first. And I said, well, I can't do that. And he goes, of course you can't do that. That's the point. You you always choose in your mind first to act based on what you believe is best for you. And that includes picking up a drink 10 times a day. Yes. You know, whether you've had one drink, five drinks, 10 drinks, each subsequent drink you take is freely chosen even in a blackout yes you know when i was choosing that uh, some days i'd have two three day blackouts when i was drinking wicked heavy um so every single thing i was doing uh in my life everything was was a choice now to michelle's point sometimes you make choices and they seem uh reactionary but you're still choosing it 
Absolutely. You're still making an analysis. Uh, some choices are made very quickly. So it seems like they don't go to uh, long-term memory. We don't even remember the choices we make sometimes because we're so efficient at them. Um, for instance, I don't sit when I go for a walk and say right leg, left leg, move, right. right leg, move, <laughs> right? I, I don't even, it's, it's, you know, now when I was one year old and two years old, I'm sure I thought that and I was figuring out how to balance myself. The point is we're habit making creatures. But just because something is habitual doesn't mean I didn't choose it initially. Right. You know, I didn't set the, the train in motion with my own mind and my own choice and my own free will. So we got to get down to the nitty gritty sometimes with people and really parse this out and say, you are not powerless. You are not just acting in some whimsical loss of control way. There's, there's reasoning behind your choices. And there certainly is when you're sticking a needle in your arm every day and chasing drugs all day. Yep. Yep. And so, so let's, we'll talk about blackout just briefly because we've covered it before. Look at, I'm going to make it real easy. Blackout is amnesia. It's short-term memory loss. Um, you've poisoned your brain to the point where you're not going to retain what's going on. The memories. The memories. But while you're in the blackout, you're freely choosing. Right. You're, you're acting in the moment just as you did the every other previous moment of your life. You yeah. just won't remember it. Exactly. So we have a, a, a student that is working with one of our instructors who, who went to the mat for, you know, once I take one drink, I'm dry. I can't stop. I can't, I really, I don't, I don't care what the research shows. I am out of control. And, and the question or, or about drugs or whatever. And the question that we ask someone when they're that convinced and ironically, this person at that moment wasn't drinking, wasn't high at that moment, they had clearly stopped. And so the question I ask people is, well, are, are you high right now? Did you get up and, I mean, some people get up and get high right, right off the rip. Mm -hmm. um, this person didn't. How did you stop? Well, I, I went to bed. If, I mean, it's a choice to go to bed. I mean, sometimes you pass out and you're unconscious. But the point is, everybody stops. Everybody stops at some point for some reason. They have a reason to stop, whether it's to go to bed or whether it's I went on a crack run all weekend and I got to go to work on Monday morning. Right. You know, if there was genuinely a loss of control, no one would ever stop. But all people do at some point. Right. You know, and so so for those who the research isn't important to them, the logic has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Either, either you lose control with your life as an absolute where you have nothing to do with it. You're a drug taking zombie. That's what you're saying. Yep. Or there's some volition happening. There's some uh, free will and choosing happening. And if you even have the slightest thought that, yeah, I chose that, then there is no loss of control. Yep. Because it's an absolute when you lose control, you're not the one in control. And then the question becomes on a deeper level, well, then who is in control? Because you're still doing That's things. It. Who did it? Who, who, who picked up the drink? Who went to the hotel to have your three-day bender? Who created, who went out and bought the booze? Who, 
who who mixed the drink? Who did that? If you have a loss of control, then it isn't you. So is it true what Bill Wilson said, and that is that alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful, and it has a mind? You see, now we're getting into where this bullshit came from. Right. Okay? We're 80 years into this nonsense that alcohol has power and you don't. That's what you're saying. Or drugs have powers and you don't. So I don't think I want to believe in that kind of magic. No, I'm not going to be a fool anymore and believe that a substance somehow has some control over my, over the, the neurons in my brain. Yeah. I, you know, I want to even pull this into the realm of opiates because right now mm. we had, there's a witch hunt going on. Um, and now there's a, a Hulu show called dope sick where they're basically the opiate epidemic. Okay. First of all, it's not an epidemic, right? That's number one. That's uh, they use, they throw that word around now. Yeah, like it's, hyperbole. it's crazy. Um, but that it's now the pharmaceutical company's fault, right? It's their fault for making these. Does anybody understand that opiates have been around for thousands of years? Right. And that if, thousands. You, don't, if you don't have a customer, you wouldn't have an epidemic. <laughs> okay. And so I, I can tell you because Mark and I have now spanned over three decades helping people, right? Yep. And so from 1989, pretty much to 2010, the people that came in that were using opiates, that were using heroin, it was predominantly heroin. Um, nobody said, you know, I got injured and I had surgery and I got hooked. Nobody, I, don't, I can't think of one. Everybody that came in and said, yeah, I tried heroin or I tried it at a party. I liked it and I got, I, I liked it. <laughs> so I kept doing it right now they were they at that time people were like well yeah it's they the disease theory was there and we, they believed that they were hooked and powerless but the narrative was not what it is today so whenever there's a narrative what happens is people start parroting it and then it becomes the reasoning behind use and so every time we create an awareness campaign of any kind when it comes to a drug we drive use Yes. Drive very specific habits with the use. And and loss of control is just another piece of that puzzle. Exactly. It's just a belief. Um, so to Michelle's point, if we said that heroin use was caused by the pandemic, for instance, guess what? It becomes it becomes caused by the pandemic. Then people will attach those ideas and it becomes reality, which is exactly what happened. Yes, um, which is happening with alcohol, by the way. Um, so now we, the people that we're getting, a lot of them that are drinkers that we're getting here, I, you know, it's funny because they'll come in and they'll say when they get to the retreat, you know, I, I only started drinking heavily in, once everything shut down. But then they're here a couple of weeks and they're like, well. <laughs> but here's what's interesting. Not there there is a there is a uh, a fundamental sort of foundational piece of mythology that is driving that narrative. And that is that loneliness. Yes. That alcohol isolation and isolation that alcohol somehow cures boredom, loneliness and isolation and makes it a more fun experience or a more engaging experience because that myth that alcohol can actually cure boredom and cure loneliness. That's a myth. Um, because that myth exists when loneliness was increased in, in these lockdowns, which were insane. Um, when that happened, 
that learned connection bore fruit. Yes. With the with behavior. So so we have this layering of myths that that uh people react to and and it becomes their truth and then they act accordingly. Right. And unfortunately, you are what you believe. So you if you believe in magic and myths, then your life is going to uh have problems. Yeah. And if it were true, okay? So I just want you to think about this logically. So I'm going to I'm going to go towards your logical side. If it were true, that alcohol was effective at solving boredom and anxiety and, you know, diminishing stress, everybody would use it. Because loneliness, stress, anxiety, trauma, depression are all normal human experiences that every single human will face. Yes. And if there was a drug that erased the negative sides of life, there's no way there is no way that not every single person would take that drug. Yep. But they don't. As a matter of fact, very few people have a problematic substance use when you look at it worldwide statistically, you know, yeah. uh, that requires, you know, treatment or, or something like that. So very few people do, but everybody struggles with these problems. So, so why isn't everybody getting hammered all the time as a solution. And the reason is because people fundamentally understand that being high and drunk physically doesn't take care of your bills, doesn't make a better relationship in your marriage. It doesn't take care of your career issues. It doesn't make your relationships with your children better. They just naturally know that. But there are a certain group of people like myself and Michelle at one time that believed that it did oh, do all those things absolutely. and it drove my use like mad. And then my life fell apart and I realized, well, maybe alcohol and drugs aren't my solution. <laughs> well, know? that's, well, that's it. I, I was asked in class yesterday by one of my students, you know, so, you know, I told her the way my drinking was at the end of my drinking. And she said, well, why did you stop? What made you stop? Because I was drinking night and day, night and Me day, too. night and Me day, too. and um, really maintaining. Uh, and I, the truth was, I, it wasn't even that I wanted to stave off withdrawal. I just wanted to drink every day. I mean, I drank in the mo I started drinking in the morning because I was shaking. Um, but but I wanted to drink every day. And I and I go, you know, I got to the point where I really felt crappy. I had an ulcer. I was very sick, and every time I drank, it hurt my stomach so bad that I, I was just like, I think I want to stop for a little while. I mean, that's all it was. It wasn't anything more. It wasn't like I had a big epiphany. It wasn't any of those things. It was, I think I want to take a break. And so many people do that. And then as I went through the withdrawal, I started thinking, gosh, I, maybe I don't want to drink like that anymore. Right. right. I mean, it's just, it's just uh, one of those things. If you allow yourself, you will naturally start to question the, what are the benefits of this? Do I like this as much as I used to? Right. You and know, you'll start to recognize that it's illogical, that what you've been doing hasn't really worked, but you have to dig in. That's why yeah. we wrote the book. You know, people really struggle with this concept. They really do because it's so deeply entrenched. The mythology is, is pounded into us constantly yeah constantly in our culture so um a lot of people come here to the retreat and they say to themselves when they start 
in the first week or so, they say, yeah, I got it. And I say, stick around for another week. And then we get deep into it. And they're like, holy shit, I can't believe how the level to which I believed there was some entity, some nebulous force that was forcing me to behave in certain ways. And, and, and then they, they come to grips with the fact that that's not the case, that they can move forward with their life. But it takes some deprogramming. Oh, sure. Because there's, like Mark says, there's layers. It's like an onion. Yeah. You peel it back. Oh, you're right. I don't believe in loss of control. And so they, that's when they think they've got it because they're like, oh yeah, I was never out of control. I was using it for, for reasons. I get that. I get that. But they're, they don't realize that they, how deeply they still believe in so much mythology. Yeah. And, and they say, you know, I was drinking for reasons, but a lot of those reasons are wrong. Yeah. Factually or objectively incorrect. And, and they're myths. And one, for instance, is that alcohol, even temporarily, takes away stress. That's bullshit. It, it, it can't objectively do that. It is impossible. Now, if, you, if, if that statement caught you by surprise, then you need to read the Freedom Model. Yes, you exactly. Need, you need to read it. You got to see what the research shows. It doesn't take away anxiety. It doesn't help with sleep. It doesn't, it doesn't take away boredom. It doesn't distract us from all these things. Alcohol and drugs do not do those things pharmacologically in our bodies. But you do it. That's right. You do it That's because right. you're doing something you enjoy. That's right. And then you will frame it a certain way with your mind. And, uh, and then that becomes your truth. And then that builds value in the drinking and drugging experience. So that's a very nuanced thing that you have to go through logically. And we do that in chapter 17 through 20 um, in the book, a amongst others. There's, there's other chapters that hit different angles on that. Um, if you want to know more, also go to online.thefreedommodel.org. And Michelle and I teach the entire course in 65 pre-recorded videos. And it's very affordable. And you can have that program. Uh, you can just download it and get started today. Yeah. And once you enroll in that, um, you will be, you'll have it for as long as you need it. Um, so you can get through the course initially. Right, there's no membership fees. No, there's no ongoing. It's one price and, and it's there for you. And we'll be updating it periodically over the, you know in perpetuity yeah, while forever. we're both still alive. Forever. Yeah. As long as we're <laughs> learning and we're always learning. Yeah. Um, and, and then look at if your life is really chaotic, like mine was and, and you're falling apart. Um, I know what that's like and it's yeah. horrible. You know, I've had two in the past, two suicide attempts. I've, I've been down some dark roads. If that's the case, then you might want to come to the retreat, the St. Jude retreat, which we've been running for 32 years and, uh, get the help you need. Yes, you can reach us at 888-424-2626. Thank you so much for listening today, and um, we'll see you next time. All right, take care, everybody. Bye.